Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from Latrobe Asia, where we discuss the news, views, and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. The cow is a sacred animal in India, with nearly 80% of its Hindu population worshipping the animal for its production of milk and abstaining from eating beef. Uh, The cow doesn't abstain from eating beef, the people do. I should probably rephrase that. Anyway, surprisingly enough, the country has become the world's largest exporter of beef products, exporting more than 2 million tonnes a year and consuming just as much. With such a clash of ideals, it's become a topic of controversy, corruption and murder and is an issue debated on many cultural and political platforms. Here to discuss why India is selling the sacred cow is Dr. Yamini Narayanan, a DECRA senior fellow at the Alfred Deakin Institute for Citizenship and Globalisation at Deakin University. Thank you for joining me, Yamini. Thanks for having me here, Matt. So, what the hell? I feel that that's maybe an appropriate way to start this podcast. Why is cow slaughter and beef such a contentious topic in India? Well, Matt, the Indian constitution directs various states in India to enact legislations that prohibit the slaughter of cow, bull and progeny in order to adhere to the principles of cow protection that's ostensibly embedded in Hinduism, based on a belief that cows are gods or living embodiments of gods. Some 29 states in India now have legislations that fully or conditionally prohibit the slaughter of these animals. And several states now also criminalize beef that is sourced from these animals. So in fact, trafficking even ownership or possession of beef can attract higher penalties than the peddling of narcotics in India. But a number of reasons make the criminalization of only cow beef and protection of only cow very contentious and problematic. The blind spot in India's cow protection discourse and politics is that it's fundamentally not based on animal rights ethics. Mm. It's not about animal protection. The definition of protection is very strategically loosely defined in the Indian constitution, limiting protection only to the prohibition of slaughter. And it thereby allows the Indian state to detract attention from all the other abuse that cattle suffer in India, starting from birth, to support the several booming cattle industries in India, which can only actually be sustained through the mass trafficking and slaughter of cattle. Right? India is uh, not just the largest exporter of beef, but it's also the largest producer of milk. It's amongst the top 10 producers of leather, all of which can only be sustained by the mass slaughter of cattle. But in order to sustain the slaughter of cattle in a state that formally prohibits the slaughter of cattle, the formal state also has to support an informal economy. Like the slaughtering of animals, the trafficking of animals all happens informally and the formal state has to support this by turning a blind eye. You say support, but in essence it's ignore it, just willfully ignore it. It is willfully ignore it in order to actually benefit from it. All of these industries are highly lucrative industries. Okay, so if if I wanted to get into the, the beef industry in India, would I look for a supportive state or would I look for underground means? It depends on what your aims were. Mm. If your aim was to process beef for export only, you would have to have a licensed slaughterhouse that can export. It has to meet certain health guidelines and public safety guidelines, etc. It also has to meet pollution norms, right? Minimum pollution norms, because all slaughterhouses are high-polluting industries. And the primary source of pollution comes from blood because there's absolutely no way of sustainably draining blood off. And, And blood is, of course, a carrier of diseases, Right. But if your aim was to cater for a domestic market, then you'd probably do it the way beef is generally processed in India, which is which is in backyard slaughterhouses, in informal slaughterhouses. And these really support the cattle economy in India, whether it is for milk, beef, leather, 
rendering anything. So how popular are these products in India then? Is there a market for it? As regards beef, India consumes as much beef as it exports, which is a staggeringly high number, right? Certain states in India, of course, don't have cattle slaughter prohibitions. Like, for example, Kerala has no cow slaughter bans, West Bengal has no cow slaughter bans, and many of the states in northeast India don't have cow slaughter bans. So beef is consumed in very large quantities in these states. But of course, beef is also consumed just about everywhere in India. In my work, I've spoken to a number of informal butchers, unlicensed butchers, and when I ask them, who are your main consumers, they all tell me that if Hindus stopped buying from us, we'd have to shut down, because they do form a large number of their customers. What, Hindus form a large number of their customers? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Absolutely, throughout. Uh, But the thing is, it's not just beef that leads to cattle slaughter, it's also dairy. Mm. And Hindus and Jains, they are amongst the largest consumers of dairy, not just for consumption, but also for its use in religious rituals. Like almost no religious rituals in Hinduism can be carried out without large quantities of butter, ghee, and milk being you know, offered to the deity. Temples consume enormous quantities of all these products. And dairy is really what leads to slaughter in India, but also elsewhere, because dairy leads to slaughter of male calves, bulls, and also spent dairy cows. In India, dairy directly leads to cow slaughter because we actually don't have a formal broiler industry mm. that is exclusively meant to serve the beef industry. Okay. Yeah, so all yeah. we have is the spent dairy cows and the bull calves and the bulls that are the globally regarded as the waste product of the dairy industry. So it's the slaughter of all these animals that directly supports beef. Okay, just stay with me for a moment here. I've talked to people who live in Kentucky, which is a, a dry state in the US. You cannot get alcohol legally. If you want to get alcohol, you've got to go across the border to a nearby state, pack your car up and then smuggle you know, bottles of whiskey That's right. back over the border. Mm-hmm. So if I was in India and I wanted to get some beef, I really wanted a hamburger, how difficult is it for me to get beef or any sort of cow product? How widespread this is for an underground industry. Is it down to who you know? Uh, no. So if you go to a informal butcher, it's very easy to, to get it. Yeah, so, right, what, yeah. so what Indians typically tend to prefer is what they call hot bone meat, which is meat from a freshly slaughtered animal. And you can still get freshly slaughtered cow. Every day. Wow. Every yeah. day, yeah. So I have been to informal slaughterhouses in India and cows and bulls are waiting slaughter. Yeah. Yeah, very openly so. I visited Mathura. The local belief is that Lord Krishna was born there and he was a lover of cows, right? Right next to the temple are entire neighborhoods of illegal butchers. The obvious question that comes to mind then is how does the state turn a blind eye to this? I'm not not asking for their, their ethical ruling on it, but clearly there has to be a way that the state can justify this kind of thing going on. Yes. So there's a number of ways in which the state and its various institutions turn a blind eye. One, when it comes to actual transportation, for example. So I've spoken again to traffickers and transporters of cattle as well, and they'll tell me that they'll budget police bribes into their right. into their total costs. Yeah. It's common, it's clear. So if you're transporting animals from point A to B, you estimate that there's probably going to be about five police stops that you have to pass. Right, so there'll be this much for road toll, this much for petrol, this much for for bribe money. For bribe money. Yeah. And then if you have to go from A to C, for example, then you might have seven police stops that you have to pay across the border, right? And so you, you budget that in as well. Highway infrastructure, the police infrastructure, the animal husbandry infrastructure, they all actively turn a blind eye. They all actively are, are complicit in this. And then oftentimes, and this is this is really common as well, and animal activists themselves have told me, 
that oftentimes animal activists will be involved in this. So what they might do is stop a cattle truck, which is obviously overloaded with with animals. Yeah. And then take a bribe to say that oh these are actually just dairy animals because according to Indian animal transportation laws you can only transport 6 to 8 animals per truck. What you normally find is 50, 100, in some cases 180 animals stuffed inside the one truck yeah, to save yeah. on transportation costs. So oftentimes the animals come out more dead than alive. So what about uh, through the international trade then? How does it work then? Because if you're the biggest exporter of beef in the world, of beef yeah. products, yeah. there's clearly got to be checkpoints involved. There's got to be... This is the other thing. And this is the next level of corruption. And this is international corruption. So India can only export directly to a very few countries. Vietnam is on paper one of our major importers, and so are many countries in the Middle East, like Jordan, Egypt, Iran, Iraq, etc. Unofficially, evidence shows that China is really our largest importer, even though we don't have direct import relations with China. What happens is that Vietnam and Thailand, who are our major southeastern importers, they process a high number of beef from India, and then it gets repackaged and sent on either undercover or repackaged and sent on as Vietnamese beef. Mm. So there's corruption at multiple levels. Now, but if you look at the actual reach of Indian beef through second party or third party or even fourth party transfers, it actually covers it quite extensively, including Europe and the United States. It's done under the guise of being a bit more ethically acceptable by saying that it's it's buffalo meat, isn't it? Because that's classified as beef, but it's not a cow. Is it all going to be buffalo? Is it all going to pass the guidelines that they send out? In 2010, for example, India claimed to export some 653,000 tonnes of buffalo. Curiously, the global import of the same beef came to less than 170,000 tonnes. Much of the gap is assumed to be made of contraband cow, cleverly disguised until it arrives on foreign shores. Mm. There has been a number of commissions set up to monitor the export of beef to ensure that it is buffalo beef and not cow beef. However, there has been some research, again, based on the total birth rate of indigenous and Jersey cattle breeds in India over a five-year period. They believe that there is a shortfall of nearly 7 million cows. Right. So we don't know where these cows are. So where are, are these cows going? Where are these cows going? Yeah. Even if you attribute an exaggerated, a highly exaggerated infant mortality rate of 50%, we're still losing a staggeringly high number of cows. Mm. So where are they? It is possible that they have either been exported or been consumed locally. This is an amazing amount of investment to try and keep a hold of this industry as it's trying to function in India. How much of a a cultural issue has it become? Why is there such a, a big response to it? It has always been fundamentally a combination of a cultural issue and an economic issue. Right? And this has always been India's conundrum or its cattle complex, so to speak. Culturally, it has been promoted as a sacred animal. It represents Hinduism at its core. And right-wing Hindu groups have always used the cow as a symbol of an ideologically pure Hindu nation, a pure Hindu nation. Yeah, This has always been a primary goal of cow protectionism. It has always been sectarian. It has always been casteist to marginalize Muslims and low-caste Hindus. And in fact, in just... 2014, two Muslim women, a Muslim couple, and four Dalit men were severely beaten by self-stated cow vigilantes for allegedly possessing cow beef or hide. But at the same time, the cow in India, like everywhere else, is also extremely commercially valuable. The cattle industry is a booming industry in just about every country in the world, whether it's Australia, whether it's Brazil, New Zealand, America, etc. And India, with its large cattle population, has also been consistently trying to formalize and commercialize and make profitable its cattle industries. These two don't go together. 
you can't protect an animal and then continue to benefit and profit from its bodies right even an industry which seems very benign like milk is actually profuse with cruelty and violence to cattle bodies so during the indian election modi promised to to curb the industry uh, the bjp blamed the congress party their rivals for encouraging beef trade to woo india's muslim vote but it's been a promise that he's had trouble following up with so why is it such a difficult thing for modi to get a grasp on a few notable things have happened since modi became the prime minister there has been a slight dip in global beef exports the world over including india's export of beef due to rising oil and transportation prices but nonetheless it was during this period in spite of the global slowdown india became the global exporter of beef during this period modi or actually any government in india cannot actually afford to curb the beef industry as long as india has a thriving milk industry india has an extraordinary almost reckless program of artificial insemination to increase milk outputs which basically means that we're going to have an extremely high cattle population but along with this massive rise in cattle numbers there also exist cow protection laws how can this work like how can this be profitable how mm. can you have so many cows and expect to actually profit from milk leave alone beef yeah in a nutshell it cannot work and it cannot be profitable cows need to be slaughtered in order to keep the milk and leather industry profitable the leather industry in india is one of the top 10 foreign exchange earners in the country the government is not in a position would not want to be in a position to stop this it has registered an annual turnover of 12 billion us dollars in the last decade right it has a growth rate of 13.5% annually which is huge yeah, yeah the leather industry employs about 2.5 million people and about 30% of these people are women so if anything the government is trying very hard to push up its milk outputs right by 2020 india aims to push up its milk outputs to 200 million tons a year which is an extraordinarily high number and india's milk industry is fundamentally inefficient as well because per animal our milk outputs actually very low because indian cattle exist in a state of starvation about 80% of our animals exist in a state of starvation what they eat is actually just dry hay right dry hay has zero carbohydrates zero minerals zero vitamins almost no nutrition it just about contains enough to keep the animal alive so which basically means indian cows milk output per animal is about the lowest in the world so it's huge milk production actually comes from large numbers of highly inefficient cows and highly unhealthy cows aside from you not slaughtering cows you're meant to to care for them there's meant to be a, it sounds trivial way to put it but there's meant to be a cow retirement plan yes so traditionally as well as you know not much more formally in the indian economy uh the government is meant to support gaushalas which are cow retirement sanctuaries for male cattle as well as spent dairy cattle right retired unproductive female cattle and of course this applies only to cows not to buffaloes what we call white cattle not black cattle that is buffaloes right however if you think about the large numbers literally the millions and millions of cattle that are unproductive there is absolutely no way that any gaushala plan would be able to absorb all of these animals and still keep the milk industry profitable it doesn't work out like that mm. if hypothetically speaking on paper every single animal was to be cared for in a gaushala the milk industry would be a colossal failure in terms of profits the numbers just wouldn't add up at all australia's got a, a large problem when it comes to cattle methane emissions as well mm-hmm. it must be on an entirely different scale altogether in india right now methane emissions from animal agriculture are amongst the leading contributors to global warming right now india has the world's largest cattle head 
its livestock emissions are a key global polluter and India is also exceptionally vulnerable to climate change because it has a long peninsular coastline and it also is situated in the tropics and most tropical countries are in the red zones for climate change. The two main sources of greenhouse gases are methane and also livestock waste. The global warming potential of methane produced by cattle is 23 times higher than that of carbon dioxide. And it actually contributes almost 63% of the total polluting emissions coming from the total agricultural sector. Now, animals bred for consumption, they also tend to travel long distances. And in India, animals, when they are transported from one part of the country to another, in extremely large numbers, they contribute immensely to transport emissions. They also have their feet transported, generally, right? In the specific case of India, though, India has the highest livestock population at about 485 million, of which cattle comprise nearly 200 million. As per the IPCC, the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change, ruminant methane from Indian cattle are the single largest contributor to methane emissions in the world. Mm. The poor quality diet of Indian cattle can also lead to elevated methane productions. So whatever diet they do have is actually of extremely poor quality. As I said, it's mostly dry hay. Uh, Oftentimes it is actually urban waste. You'll often find cattle eating waste in Indian cities. And the Indian Network for Climate Change Assessment notes that India is highly vulnerable to the most debilitating aspects of climate warming as the country expects to register an increase in temperature from 2.3 to 4.8 degrees Celsius in the next five years even. Potentially. Yeah, a contentious, massively sized industry that's just having a, an impact on every aspect of India's life. That's right. But the interesting thing is that, you know, in fact, a lot of the um, international dairy producing industries now want to relocate to India because in Australia, milk is about 99 cents a litre. In the United States, it's about 40 to 50 cents a litre. In India, milk is cheapest at about 25 to 30 cents a litre. Right? So a number of these dairy-producing countries like cheese companies, etc., want to relocate their factories to India to benefit from the cheap primary commodity. And the government will encourage this too. Yeah. You know, because milk is seen as benign. Milk is not actually seen as a slaughter industry. And it won't be acknowledged as one either. Thank you, Yamini, for the insight into a contentious but really important issue. Thanks for your time today. Oh, thank you, Matt, for having me here. You've been listening to Asia Rising, a podcast from La Trobe Asia. If you like, you can follow Yamini on Twitter. She's at Yamini Narayanan. That's at Y-A-M-I-N-I-N-A-R-A-Y-A-N-A-N. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it on iTunes and SoundCloud. And please leave a review and tell your friends about it. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.